at Chelsea City Temple. If you want to be part of the whole thing via Zoom, drop us an email, or you can come and see us in person at Chelsea Community Church. Uh, we're going to start reading today from Jeremiah chapter 6, two verses, and then 2 Timothy chapter 3. But before we do, let's bow in prayer. Father God, thank you so much for your word. And I pray now, Holy Spirit, that you would speak to our hearts through the word. Thank you that we can trust what you say. Thank you that we can trust what it says. And Lord, I pray that your Holy Spirit would rest on me, that I can bring your word to your people this day, through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. And Jeremiah, and remember, Jeremiah is one of the prophets of the exile, the Babylonian captivity. Uh, it's Jeremiah and Ezekiel. And uh, Jeremiah says this, the Lord says this through Jeremiah. Thus says the Lord, stand by the roads and look and ask for the ancient paths, where the good way is and walk in it and find rest for your souls. But they said, we will not walk in it. I set watchmen over you saying, pay attention to the sound of the trumpet. But they said, we will not pay attention. And then to 2 Timothy chapter 3. Paul is instructing Timothy. And he says this. But understand this, that in the last days there will come times of difficulty. Boy, they, that's certainly here, isn't it? For people will be lovers of self, lovers of money, proud, arrogant, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, heartless, unappeasable, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not loving good, treacherous, reckless, swollen with conceit, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having the appearance of godliness, but denying its power. Avoid such people. For among them are those who creep into household and capture weak women, burdened with sins and led astray by various passions, always learning and never able to arrive at a knowledge of the truth. Well, just as Janus and Jambres opposed Moses, so these men also opposed the truth, men corrupted in mind and disqualified regarding the faith. But they will not get very far, for their folly will be plain to all, as was that of those two men. You, however, have followed my teaching, my conduct, my aim in life, my faith, my patience, my love, my steadfastness, my persecutions and sufferings that happened to me at Antioch, at Iconium, and at Lystra, which persecutions I endured. Yet from them all the Lord rescued me. Indeed, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted, while evil people and impostors will go on from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived. But as for you, continue in what you have learned and have firmly believed, knowing from whom you learned it, and how from childhood you have been acquainted with the sacred writings, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. All scripture is breathed out by God 
and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man or woman of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. God bless to us this reading from his holy word. Well, I almost forgot this week that this was, this past week was the 35th anniversary of my ordination as a pastor. Uh, back a long time ago. Uh, <laughs> nice. You know, I feel like that's a bit like the applause that you give to somebody who's 100 years old. You know, it's like, well, you survived this long, so no matter what, you deserve some applause there, you know. And, uh, and one other thing, just a kind of a little insight on my personality. Uh, norm, when I was training in seminary, uh, all the professors said, now when you, you, to be ordained, I had to preach in front of uh, pastors and elders in our presbyteries some of whom were not converted, and some of them were quite liberal. Uh, so it was quite a diverse group of people. And uh, the counsel always is, don't rock the boat. You know, don't say anything that could be disruptive or that would get you called out or anything like that. And of course, you know, you give me advice like that, and you know what I do? I ignore it, uh, as I did. And, and I remember in the sermon, uh, I don't really remember a lot about the sermon, but I do remember one of the things I said, because back in the 1980s, one of the big things was what they call inclusive God language. You know, we should stop using these masculine pronouns for God and, you know, call, instead of saying God himself, say God, God self. You know, so you kind of avoid that. And that, that was really big. And I remember one of the, one of the sides in the, the sermon was an attack on that, where I said, you know, that's not biblical. And it's wrong for us as human beings to try to impose our own self onto God. You know, God's revealed himself. He's told us how to address him. And it's really similar as if I said, hey, my name's Rod, and you started calling me Dave. You know, it's okay, but it's still a bit insulting. You've just depersonalized me, you know? And, uh, and so, and because of that, I was really grilled. I was grilled for about 15, 20 minutes by the members of the presbytery and all the members of the church I was going to, they were so upset because most people get like one stupid question and then, it, okay, let's go, let them go. But I loved it, you know. Uh, even then, I loved to answer hard questions. Uh, and those of you, know, you know, I love to do it now. I only mention that because I don't know if you've seen in the last week, uh, Stephen Cottrell, the, uh, the Archbishop of York, has come out. He said in a sermon before, I think it was the General Synod, that uh, uh, calling God our Father, as you do in the Lord's Prayer, because there's a sermon on the Lord's Prayer, can be problematic. And there's actually a whole group uh, in the Church of England that have talked about uh, using what's called now non-gendered language for God. It, it seems like some things never change. But Jesus told us to call God Father. He didn't say God Mother, our Mother who art in heaven, our, our non-gendered person who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. It's like our Father who art in heaven. I mean, you know, but that's not the worst of it. I don't know if you, you saw the story where the Lutheran pastor in the United States during uh, communion, Lord's Supper, 
decided to use what's called the Sparkle Creed. I won't quote the whole thing. I, I couldn't do that because you'd have to stone me uh, because we don't preach the false gospel uh, from our pulpit. But I'll, I'll start out. I'll start out with it. It goes like this. You can look it up. Sparkle Creed. You'll remember it. Uh, it's, I believe in the non-binary God whose pronouns are plural. I believe in Jesus Christ, their child. Uh, whoops, I, I left out a line. Oh, yeah, okay. I believe in Jesus Christ, their child, who wore a fabulous tunic and had two dads and saw everything as a sibling, everyone as a sibling child of God. And it goes on. It just keeps going. Uh, and so you look it up. It's really, really extraordinary. And then, of course, you might have heard in the last couple of weeks that the Church of England has been saying, uh, admitting that they think that now that, that there's been a breakdown in safeguarding in the Church of England. And frankly, the Church of England is not alone. Uh, but the real thing, the real thing that we often miss here is that we even need safeguarding in the church because of the evil that's there. We are witnessing right now, following these stories, and there's many, many others. I cut out a lot of them. Uh, we are witnessing the collapse of Western Christianity. That's what we're seeing. The collapse of Western Christianity, and we're seeing it as God exposes sin, exposes corruption, and exposes apostasy, that is that which is no longer Christian, such as the Sparkle Creed, exposes apostasy in churches all around. The trickle, and it's been trickling for some time, but now the dike has burst, the dam has burst, and the trickle has become a flood. Now some Christians are seriously confused and discouraged, and they want to just retreat from it all. And I admit that a lot of times I feel very discouraged by everything. Other Christians, frankly, are foolish and arrogant. They're foolish and arrogant because they doubled down on their power tactics that didn't work even when we were in Israel, let alone now in Babylon. They think if I yell louder, if I get more political power than, than the others, if, if I engage in the culture war with the, the tools of the war, then I'm going to win the war. And we've got those two different approaches, and neither of them are going to make a difference. And as everything around us seems to be crumbling, we often wonder how we are going to remain faithful and fruitful in the midst of all of that's happening. But we can, and it's God's intention for us to be faithful, faithful and fruitful. And it's not God's intention for us to shrink back, but to press forward. It's not God's intention for us to disengage, but to engage more fully. But how do we do it? How do we understand? What do we do as Christians? Well, there's three things from the text today that I want to suggest to you. First, we must remember that we are living in Babylon. Right now, we're living in Babylon, so we should not be surprised or offended by what is happening. It's to be expected. We shouldn't be surprised or offended about it. 
As we've been saying, we live in Babylon, not Israel. Now, what we mean by Israel, I use that in quotes, we're not talking about the nation state. What I mean by Israel, we're talking about a society that favors authentic Christian beliefs, values, and perspectives, and expects other people to do so as well. The United States 50 years ago was Israel. The United Kingdom 60, 70 years ago was Israel. We're not in Israel anymore. We're in Babylon. Now, what do we mean by Babylon? Babylon is a society that rejects authentic Christian beliefs, values, and perspectives, and expects others to submit to Babylon's alternatives. So with Israel, it was pretty open. We expect that you'll submit, but we're not going to force you to submit because we understand you'll only do that if you surrender your life to God. Babylon, on the other hand, says, no, we more than expect you submit to submit. We're going to force you to submit if you don't. What worked in Israel does not work in Babylon. We cannot use the tools and tactics of Babylon to win over Babylon, even if we're in Babylon. We have to remember these kinds of things. Uh, when we look at Babylon, when we remember that we're in Babylon, according to the Bible, Babylon exercises its control and influence primarily in two different ways, through two different systems. Now we're seeing that right now. The first one is an economic system that is a perversion of biblical capitalism. Now the Bible largely supports capitalism, but the form of capitalism we have now is not biblical. It's a perversion of what we have in the Bible. Babylon's economic system now is based on dishonest weights and measures. It's based on greed, and it's based on consumption. Consume, consume, consume. But that system is spreading around the world and influencing everyone. The second way that Babylon exercises its influence is through a religious system that is a perversion of Christianity. So in Babylon, a lot of things sound Christian. We'll talk about love. We'll talk about peace. We'll talk about kindness. But what Babylon means by these things are radically different than what the Bible means about these things. The Babylon religious system mimics our Christian values, but embraces all beliefs and no beliefs whatsoever. This means that as we are living in Babylon, we can expect four things. First of all, Babylon will gleefully expose sin, corruption, compromise, and apostasy among God's people. Newspapers are, are eating up the stories of the scandals. The bigger the scandal, the more they, they publicize it because Babylon rejoices in this. It rejoices in the collapse of Christianity. The second thing we can expect is Babylon will forcefully oppose Christians, churches, and ministries who live according to their authentic Christian beliefs and practices. Babylon won't be neutral. Babylon will oppose those people who want to stand for Jesus. And if you, you need to see an example of that, look no forward, look no further than the leadership race for the Scottish National Party last year. 
and all that was said against Kate Forbes, who made some very clear stands for Jesus and how she was attacked for it. Now, the next thing that we need to expect in Babylon is that God will use living in Babylon to refine and purify his people, even as he used the real Babylon in history to refine and purify the Jews. And the fourth expectation we need to have is that God will demonstrate his sovereignty and the glory of Jesus. We don't run away from Babylon. We don't go hide. We keep pushing forward because Jesus is on the throne. God is sovereign and God's going to reveal his glory. But we have to remember we're living in Babylon because if you start thinking you live in Israel, you're easy pickings for the demons of Babylon. So we got to remember we're living in Babylon. We're living in Babylon. If we're going to survive, if we're going to thrive, if we're going to move forward, if we're going to be faithful and fruitful. The second thing is we need to discern the religious influences of Babylon and stand against them. We cannot capitulate to them. We cannot give in. We cannot allow Babylon to redefine who we are because that is exactly what Babylon is trying to do. This Babylon society is trying to redefine what Christianity is, redefine what a church is, redefine our purpose, redefine our identity. And we must take a stand against it, but you can't do that unless you discern what's going on. Babylon ultimately co-ops religion for its purposes. And Babylon will use religion to promote its cultural agenda and to give Babylon a faith-based legitimacy. So in other words, if Babylon can get churches to buy into the sexual ethics of the day, then that will give Babylon's agenda, which is not a biblical agenda, it will give it faith-based legitimacy, which is exactly what Babylon wants to do. And the reason it wants this faith-based legitimacy is because it lacks the support of reason and science. Let me give you an example. Reason and science tells us there are two genders, male and female. So does the Bible, by the way. Reason and science tells us that children who are raised in two-parent households where a man, a husband, and his wife are married, and they're in a, in a healthy relationship, that those children raised in such a context tend to be healthier and tend to be more successful. And that's backed up by both reason and by science. Study after study has demonstrated this. But Babylon doesn't like that. And so it needs to find a faith-based legitimacy for itself because it doesn't have a reason or science legitimacy. And so ultimately, Babylon seeks to indoctrinate people with its religious fervor, even as it tries to corrupt people through getting them to consume and, and getting them to become greedier, more and more greedy. So greed and consumption. So Babylon wants to indoctrinate us. Oh, this is what it means to be a good Christian. This is what it means to be a good citizen. This is what it means to be a good person. And by the way, if you're a good Christian, you're a good citizen, uh, obviously that means you'll want more, you'll consume, and you'll be more prosperous. And who doesn't want to be more prosperous? 
So you can have prosperity if you'll adopt our religion. And the two kinds of things go together. And we can see this. We can see this, this uh, indoctrination through religious fervor in things like Just Stop Oil. I mean, that, that's a religious group if I've ever seen one. Or Extinction Rebellion, the Pride Movement, the Trans Movement. They look more like religious zealots to me than they do people who are thinking and reasoning and wanting to be part of a grand society. Or you look at, uh, and you think, why is this happening? Because it's easier to control people through religion and greed than it is to control people or to influence people through reason and faith. And that's why Babylon does it. And it's happening all around us. And Babylon, as we can see, covers every belief system with a veneer of false Christianity. And you can see that again in our society. Every belief system has a veneer of false Christianity. For example, Islam. Islam becomes a religion of peace and equality instead of a religion that advances through violence and subjugates women. Or you look at Buddhism. Well, Buddhism becomes mindful spirituality. Who doesn't want that? Instead of a man who abandons his family in his own pursuit of selfish enlightenment as the Buddha did. Hinduism. Hinduism becomes a religion that celebrates light instead of a religion that imprisons millions of people in the poverty of their caste. You get this quote that's from the India Times. Hinduism believes that if all individuals play their parts sincerely as part of their dharma, that means if you stay in your caste, if you stay where you're supposed to, untouchable and so on, uh, then, and then perform their sacred duties, the society, and in larger context, humanity, will prosper to make the world a better place to live, at least for those who are at the top of the caste. Satanism. You think, well, certainly you can't Christian wash Satanism. That's like whitewash. Christian wash Satanism. Well, Satanism becomes a positive force for human freedom instead of bondage to the demonic self. Listen to uh, this from Lucian Greaves, who's the leader of the Satanic Temple. And the Satanic Temple is non-theistic, and its principles are broadly liberal humanism. The first of its seven tenets is, quote, one should strive to act with compassion and empathy towards all creatures in accordance with reason. That's a new breed of Satanism. Yet that's what it is. Atheism promotes, promotes positive human, humanistic values instead of, instead of shackling people with the hopelessness of pure evolutionary thinking. And it is pure evolutionary thinking. And in this context, historic biblical Christianity becomes bigoted, harsh, intolerant, and unloving, just to name a few. And it must be rejected. In fact, according to Babylon... Any true adherent to any religion or any authentic religious belief is labeled pejoratively as right-wing, extremist, or fundamentalistic. And so you can't be that. And all the while, Babylon promotes its own 
subversion of values. It promotes love defined as unrestricted positive acceptance and affirmation where any phobia, whether it's Islamophobia or whatever phobia name, actually becomes the opposite of love. Tolerance becomes you must positively welcome the other. Pluralism means that all roads lead to God. However you choose to define God, or even if you don't believe God, you'll all get there in the end. Private practices and beliefs are totally fine as long as they don't have a public influence. And the state must provide for us because God does not. And so we need to depend on the government. You can see that all around us. Ultimately, the religion of Babylon is a false Christian abomination. It co-ops Christian values, but rejects the Christian Jesus in favor of a Jesus of its own imagination. According to Lorna Hood, the former General Assembly moderator of the Church of Scotland, when she was criticizing Kate Forbes last year, she said this, we must never forget the basic tenet of Christianity is love, respect, and tolerance. Huh. I thought the basic tenet was Christianity, that Jesus Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, and that he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures. But I guess that needs to be reinterpreted now. It has a form of godliness, but this Babylon religion has no power to change lives. And Babylon religion ultimately makes a virtue out of sin and then imprisons people in their sin. So we need to understand we are living in Babylon. And you need to discern the influence of this Babylon, this false Christian Babylon religion, because it's around us. And it will increase. It's not going to decrease. It's not going to go away. It will continue and continue to magnify, I think, probably until Jesus Christ comes again. So this situation is not going to get better. It could get much more difficult. But we should not be afraid. Because God is on the throne. And both Jesus and Paul told us these things would happen. The Bible says, he said, hey, in the last days, there will come times of difficulty. And I'm kind of like, Paul, could you underestimate that as much? You know, maybe a little bit more. Under-egg it a little bit more. Don't, don't over-egg. Don't, don't be too, too alarmist. You know, so the Bible told us this. So what do we do about it? How do we live? Well, you know, the temptation is here to say, I'm going to give you the top 10 tips for living in Babylon. But you can't do that. You really can't do that. Because Babylon changes. Babylon is not a, a, a fixed target, and it will not be. It will always be shifting. And in fact, as long as we're focusing on Babylon, frankly, we're focusing on the wrong things. We've got to be focusing on Jesus. We have to be focusing on God and what God wants from us, how God is calling us to live. So what do we do? We need to follow, we need to obey God's word for confused Christians living in Babylon. Obey God's word for confused Christians 
living in Babylon, and that's this. Ask for the ancient paths. Ask for the ancient paths. God spoke very clearly to his people through the prophet Jeremiah. He said, hey, stand by the roads and look. The idea is that there's, you might be at a fork in the road or you might be at, at, at a roundabout or one of the golden roundabouts, you know, like, like south, towards South End. I don't know, it's a roundabout of roundabouts. Or you might be about to go into Milton Keynes. You know, and they've got so many roundabouts in Milton Keynes that you get sick. You know, it's just, uh, it, it kind of kills you. So it, it's, it, that's the idea in the mind. He says, stand by the roads and look. It's a call to discern. You don't have a sat-nav, although you do have the Bible. You don't have somebody, uh, a human, whispering in your ear, although you do have the Holy Spirit. So stand by the roads and look. There are multiple paths, but you can discern the right one. And the Lord says, ask for the ancient paths where the good way is. There's a lot of paths that lead to destruction, as Jesus said. But there is a good way. It's an ancient path that we can ask for, but God needs to, be, God needs to reveal it to us. Now, the idea of a path, that's a way of living. That's living your life, a process of living. And this path is both ancient and everlasting, but it's nothing new. We don't need a lot of new direction. That's why the Bible is still relevant. We don't need a lot of new information. We don't need a new theological discovery about Jesus because let me tell you, everything we humans can discover is in the Bible and it's already been spoken at some point in time. We're actually at a stage in history where we're just rediscovering what the people before us discovered. It's a bit like traveling in Europe, you know? You travel in Europe, you come around a corner, and there's a, a cafe. And you're like, wow, that's such a cool cafe. Oh, I need to write about this. I'm going to Instagram this. I'm going to put it up. And then you Google it, and you find like 10,000 people have already been there. And you're like, why didn't I know about this? Well, that's really what we're talking about. There's not a whole lot of new stuff here. There's not a lot of surprises. The journey will be a surprise at times, but the pathway is not so much. And we need to have confidence that when the Lord shows it to us, it's the good way. It's the way that's going to benefit us. Jesus tells us it might not be the wide way, it's probably the narrow way, but you need to have confidence it's the good way. And then he, then he says, walk in it, and you'll find rest for your souls. So it's not enough just to see the path, to discern the path. You need to walk the path. You need to live it. It's not enough to know the information. It's what you do with it that makes the difference. And that's what he's saying here. Walk means you live it daily. And this idea, if you walk in this path, the promise is that you'll find rest for your soul. That's for your, your inward being. You'll find rest. And that word rest has two implications. First, it means you'll be in a place of non-anxious existence. A lot of what's happening around us is anxiety provoking, but you can be in a place where you're non-anxious, where you'll be at peace, where you'll be at rest. 
But rest has a second implication that many people miss. And that is you'll be in a place to make the best decisions. You see, when you're at rest, that's when you make the best choices. When you're at rest, that's when you can hear God most clearly. When you're at rest, that's when you're in the position to take advantage of the opportunities that come up before you. And that's what God is promising through this. And he also says, pay attention to the sound of the trumpet, which means listen to those that God's speaking to and keep on, keep on the alert. Keep listening, keep watching, because God will tell you. He'll give you course corrections. He'll show you the kinds of things. Now, to discern the ancient paths, you know, it's good to make sure we have a basis in historic Christianity. As I said, there's nothing new about the gospel. It's been the same gospel for the last 2,000 years. And you might say, well, Christians, they disagree about so much. Well, yeah, we, we disagree about a lot, but we agree about 95% of the time. A lot of times we don't realize that. All the debates, all the disagreements, it's about 5% of theology. And some of it's just a, a different way of looking at the same, same coin. And we can know. We've got creeds like the Apostles' Creed and the Nicene Creed. You can look at that. That gives you ancient Christianity. And the Nicene Creed, for example, is embraced, even if people don't embrace creeds, the content of the Nicene Creed is believed by 100% of Christians around the globe. If you reject that creed, you probably have rejected historic Christianity. So it's important, because we agree. We agree on most of it. The ancient path is also biblical Christianity. We have to trust the Bible. As Paul told Timothy, the Bible makes us wise for salvation through faith in Jesus. The Bible is God-breathed. He breathed into it. He breathed it out. God gives it life by the power of his Holy Spirit. The Bible has authority in our lives. And so Christianity, ancient path Christianity, is always biblical Christianity. 100% of the time. It's biblical Christianity. And the ancient path Christianity is always Jesus-centered Christianity. Always Jesus. There's no salvation, there's no life outside of Jesus Christ. Jesus is the King of kings and the Lord of lords. Jesus is exclusive. He says, I am the way, the truth, the life. No one comes to the Father but by me. God also says, it's not my desire that any should perish, but that everyone would come to a knowledge of the truth. Yes, Jesus is exclusive, but he welcomes all who will come and bow and surrender to him. We need to ask the Lord for the ancient path. And the decisions you have to make today, the decisions you make tomorrow, pause, look at the road, look at the options, Say, God, show me the ancient path, the good way that I might walk in it and find rest for my soul, that I might live in this. And by God's grace in Jesus Christ, by the power of the Holy Spirit, 
through faith in Jesus, who died on the cross and rose from the dead for us, God will speak and we will go. Let's pray. Gracious God, thank you so much for the love that you've shown us in your son, Jesus Christ. Lord, not only as individuals, but also as a church right now, we ask for the ancient path that we might walk in it, both individually and corporately. By your grace and the power of the Holy Spirit, we pray that you might speak to us and guide us. As we go to our church meeting this afternoon, as we go to our homes, as we go to our businesses, our workplaces, our schools, show us the ancient paths to the glory of your son Jesus. For we pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.